What's heaven gonna be like? I don't know yet. We've never been there. What do you think it'll be like? The streets are made out of gold. And it's really bright. The angels. Giraffes. Giraffes are in the boat. Oh, they're in a boat. Okay. What color boat is it? Maybe red. Bears. There's dogs in heaven, but there's probably not cats. There's lots of buildings. Really tall ones? Yeah. Like really, really tall? Yeah. There's gold everywhere. I think it has sand in a beach. Do you think there are sharks in heaven? No. Starfish? No, I hate starfish. <laughs> the trees should be green. Or the trees could be gold. There's no death, pain, sickness, or any of that bad stuff. Probably with ballerinas and statues of angels. What about the Statue of Liberty? Would it be there? Mm, yes. What else do you see? Basketball hoop. Basketball hoop? Yes, well, we are continuing. Uh, we're continuing our series, Edge of Heaven. And uh, next week, I just want to let you know, next week I'm going to be talking about will there be hoops or harps in heaven, all right? Hoops or harps. And uh, I want to talk next week about forever and ever. You know, when you think about eternity and forever and ever, what are we going to do in heaven? Uh, have you ever thought about that? What will we do? What will occupy our time? What is, is going to take up eternity and uh, how you keep from being bored. And uh, I just think there's going to be some exciting things as we look at hoops or harps next week. But today we're continuing it. And um, I'm going to try to not sound like an end times TV preacher, okay? I'm just telling you, there's so much here. And I, 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 as we talk about heaven and, and look at the end times, and I just wanted to, for just a moment as we're talking about heaven, I want to talk about getting to heaven and then an event that the church talks about, uh, about getting to heaven called the rapture. And so I'm going to go there for just a moment. And I, again, I don't want to be like a, a TV preacher, but I feel like there's so many scriptures and I, I promise not to have a, a big chart out, but I will have some graphics. And uh, how many, just by a show of hands here at all of our campuses, uh, you've been in a service where somebody had a big chart across the stage and they were walking back and forth and point out, go ahead, raise your hand. Do we have anybody? Okay, just a few. All right. For those of you that are not aware of it, they used to travel around the nation and have all these charts and they'd set them up in the church and they'd hold meetings all week. And, and I was fascinated by it and I, just the artwork, and, but it was just so confusing. I'm going to try not to be that. I'm going to try to stay focused and really help you to make sense of what's coming and where we're going. And um, I, I just got to say this, as a pastor, I'm consumed with the now and I'm consumed with forever. Okay? I'm not consume that much with revelation and end times and Daniel and prophecy, and, and I'm not looking down on anybody that does. I'm just saying that I know that right now I have an opportunity to help people find Jesus as Lord and Savior and settle their eternity, and that's what I'm really focused on. And people are like, well, what about the blood moons and all that? I'm like, no clue. All right, and maybe I should pay attention 
and there's one coming up September 28th, and, and people are watching that date, and I've just got a curious eye on it, but I'm more focused on the right now, and then I get really excited about forever, all right? But we're going to try to do the best that I can, and again, I know that this is not my gifting, but I love the, the right now. But real quick on the right now, just to celebrate together, um, we had our, our opening of our eighth campus last weekend uh, in Minneapolis. We turned a bar into a church. I think we have a picture of it. We had 711 people there. I want us to celebrate that we had 711 people at our Minneapolis campus. So good. So good. And uh, I really believe the best is yet to come. And I will say this, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. This earth is as bad as it gets. And what's waiting for you is the best is yet to come. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, um, this earth is as good as it gets. And I would look for an upgrade, I'm just saying. So, but here's the thing. We believe heaven is waiting us. Let me just give you a quick review. Heaven is waiting us. And uh, additionally, we believe that it's real. It is very real. It's not a figurative place. It is a place that will be present with the Lord. Um, I didn't mention this uh, last week, but just additional points about this. Jesus mentions heaven in the Gospel of Matthew. It's recorded 70 times. 70 times that Jesus mentions heaven, and 54 of the 66 books in the Bible mention heaven. Heaven is real. Heaven is a place that those who love God are going, those who have uh, asked for forgiveness with his uh, son, Jesus Christ, and the price that he paid on the cross, and heaven is real, and the Bible just talks about it over and over and over again, and we need to give some focus on this. Now, picking up from where we were last week, I talked about present heaven and then the future heaven. And I know some people, that was new for you. You're like, all right, he was talking about something I didn't know. Here's what we believe. We believe that when a follower of Jesus Christ dies, they go to be present with the Lord. They are in his presence, which would be called a present heaven. Right now, God the Father is there. Jesus is there. There are angels. There are angelic creatures, heavenly creatures that are there. There's worship going on. And right now, if someone was to die and they're a follower of Jesus Christ, they go to be in that moment in present heaven. They don't fall asleep and wait to be revived. They are right now in the presence of God, okay? Now, um, we believe this, that Jesus ascended into present heaven, that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going there. The Bible tells us in Acts 1, uh, 19, I believe, 1, 9, it says, now when he had spoken these things, it's speaking of Jesus, while the disciples watched, he was taken up in a cloud and that received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in a like manner as you saw him go up into heaven. And so they're saying that Jesus went up to be ascended into heaven. We know from uh, Acts where we see Stephen being martyred, that he saw Jesus at the right hand of God the Father, that he's in heaven, and there's a place present heaven. And we believe that um, Luke 23 talks about uh, the the thief on the cross, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And in 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is saying, when you die, you're absent from your body, but you're present with the Lord. You're going to be in his presence in a present heaven. Then the Bible tells us that there's a future heaven, and I don't have time to go into it, but we talked about it last week. It's found in Revelation 21 and 22, 
where the Bible tells us that uh, the new Jerusalem is coming to a new heaven and a new earth, and uh, we're going to inhabit this with the Lord. And if you remember, I shared the, the distance and the size of this city. It's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Gigantic. Canada to Mexico. A giant, giant place where we are going to spend eternity with God. Now, it's very clear that if we're going to spend eternity in heaven and we believe that it's a real place, we got to know how to get there. We've got to know how to get there. And so without the, uh, just, I'm going to back up for just a moment and try to explain to you just very simply how you get to heaven, all right? And it reminds me of a, a story that talks about Billy Graham. Billy Graham was in a town where he was going to do a big crusade that night, a big revival service, and he was looking for the post office. And uh, he saw a little 12-year-old boy and he said, hey, young man, do you know where the post office is? And he said, yep, it's down here. Take a left, right there. He goes, wonderful. Thank you for helping me out. He said, hey, if you want to come tonight, I'm preaching a, a big service tonight with a lot of people there, and I'm going to tell them how to get to heaven. And the little boy said, I don't think I'm going to go. You don't even know where the post office is. You know, so anyways, but I want to tell you how to get to heaven. Really, you have to make your reservation here on this earth. You have to decide here. It's appointed once for man to die and then to face judgment. You got to call on the name of the Lord now. I wish I could say that you could recycle and have another try and another try, but you have to do it while you're here on earth. And the Bible tells us there's some scriptures that tell us that if you call on the name for forgiveness, you're given eternal life. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be given eternal life. That's what John 3, 16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's talking about eternity with God in his presence in heaven. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When you do that, God forgives you. He places his Holy Spirit within you, which is absolutely amazing that God places his Holy Spirit within you and says, now you have eternal life. You will be my child. You will spend eternity with me in heaven. So how do you get from here, from body, how do you get from here to heaven? I got good news. If you know Jesus, you're going to heaven. I got bad news. You have to die to get there. Okay? And everyone's going to die. The death rate is 100%. All right? So you're going to have to die to get there. Now, uh, it's interesting. We are not volunteering to die. Okay? We're not like, well, if we're saved, why don't we just go to heaven and beam me up, Scotty? I mean, you know how many know? It's like, I'm not saying that we want to do that right now. And it's interesting, though, if you're thinking, why do we stay here? If I have life with Christ, if I found him as my Lord and Savior, and I've got all this pain and all this suffering in this world to deal with and temptation and all this and, and, and worry and all these things, why don't I just go and be with God in heaven? Why don't I just go and get into his presence? Okay, it, it's, it maybe is the way some people are thinking. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Philippians. And he says in Philippians 1, 21, for to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. He's like, I'm just, I'm living for Christ, but when I die, I get to be with Christ. It's even better. He says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better because I, I, I can do all this work for God, but I, I'd see Jesus, I'd be in his presence. 
He says, I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Okay, so once you find eternal life and you have your eternity sealed with God and you are assured heaven and you have this, you know you're gonna be with God. He's saying, that's way better for you to be in his presence. But he said, while you're here, it's way better for everyone else that you stay and share the message, that you stay and, and give the good news out. You are here to share. You are here to give the good news. You are here for other people's benefit. You are here to help them. You are, there are good works that God has prepared for you to do. And he's saying, now that you're my follower, now that you're my son or daughter, stay and do those things. It, it's going to be amazing when you get to be in heaven, but stay and do those things. And my question to you is, are you doing those good works? Or are you just so glad? Like, I'm so glad I'm in heaven. I'm not bringing anyone else with me. Don't show up to heaven empty-handed. Bring somebody with you. Be a part of the church. Find your place to work and volunteer and be part of the whole process, process that helps people to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So in order to get to heaven, you've got to die to get there. But there's one other way that's mentioned in the Bible. And some of you are, I'm looking for that option. All right, what is it? It's a word I mentioned earlier. And it would be to be raptured up with the Lord. Now, the word rapture is not actually in the Bible. The actual word rapture, but it's a Latin word meaning caught up. It means to be caught up. And this is end time stuff here, all right? This is where I might sound like uh, an end times TV preacher, all right? But it's saying that there's a, a rapture. And this church believes this, that there is a moment that Jesus is coming back for his church. And we are going to be taken up. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. We are going to be taken up into his presence and we're leaving this earth. Do we know when that's going to happen? No. Matter of fact, Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. We don't know. But I can tell you this. When I was growing up, I heard so many sermons about the rapture. I used to think, I wonder if I'll get my driver's license before the rapture. And then I was like, I wonder if I'll graduate before the I mean, it seemed like my pastor was preaching about the rapture like every other month. You know, and then I was like, I don't think I'm getting married before the rapture. I, I mean, it was all this like to-do list, like the bucket list, but get it in before the rapture, you know, and, and uh, but I'm just telling you, it's very real that we believe that it, from the Bible, that we see that there's a moment where God's going to say, time's up, time's up, Jesus, call the church out of the world, call the church out of the world, and that's uh, the word rapture, and it's a Latin word again, meaning caught up, and you'll see that there are scriptures that are there. And uh, the tech team is going to be able to follow me. I'm just going to give you a couple scriptures. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And just so you know, because uh, I'm using that word sleep, it means have died okay, have died. It's not like soul sleep. It means they've died. It says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you, uh, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. It means those that have died before you and I, or whoever's on the earth when the rapture takes place, they will come up 
and they will meet the Lord. And then it says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It's the rapture. It's something Jesus taught that he would return to this earth. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm coming back for you. The angel said in Acts, the same way he left, he's coming back. He's coming back. There's something about this. And from all the scriptures that we look at, we don't have time to go into all of them. In in Titus, we have scripture. We have all sorts of scriptures that talk about the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. And we believe that there's a day that he's coming back for his church. And again, we don't know when it is. And I would tell you this, it's, it's really bad advice if somebody tells you to set a date, okay? I, I've been in the church a long time. I remember that there was a guy that wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord's Coming Back in 1988. <laughs> I'm telling you. And that's why I got married in 88. I, mean, I had to get it in before. No, I, 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 I saw it. 88 reasons why the rapture is going to happen. The Lord's coming back in 88. And that book went around the world. I mean, we consume that. The church, like, is it the real deal? Is this, is this the day? Is this the day? And I remember the day that it was supposed to happen. I mean, everybody was walking around like with a stomach ache. Like, is this the day? Is this guy legit? I mean, he printed millions of copies of the book. It went around. People were paying attention to the day. And as the day wore on, you know, nothing happened. And it was, you know, that day over, you know, the timeline. And so they already had the day and it was kind of closing down on our end of the earth. And so I thought I would play a prank on Becca And I was going to leave, like, my shoes, my socks, my pants, underwear, like, the watch, all, like, in a thing, and leave food cooking, like, when she came home from work. Like, I got taken and she got left behind, yeah. How many know it would be the other way, right, yeah. Then I realized, you've only been married, like, two months. That's a stupid idea. So I didn't do it. But I told her, you know. But there's coming a day. There's coming a day. And maybe you've seen one of the movies or read one of the books. And again, we're not basing our theology on the movies or the books, but there is a movie that's called The Thief in the Night. He's coming. He's coming. There's the Left Behind series, the books and the movie. The books have sold 65 million copies. There's an interest in this because we believe that whenever possible, the Bible should be taken literally. And so when we read this, we see this rapture, and we see this as as the event that the church is waiting for, really, honestly, there's one thing we really should be doing, and there's one thing we're watching for. The one thing we should be doing is preaching the message of Jesus Christ to the entire world. That's why our church is so consumed with reaching the unreached people groups. About 60% of them are in India alone. That's why our church this year through Kingdom Builders will give $100,000 to start 1,000 new churches there. We're going to the least of these and we're trying to get out into all the world and help people to know the message of Jesus. So we're consumed with preaching the name of Jesus to the end of the earth, but we're also watching for the day that he would call time's up. It's good. It's over. So we're consumed with doing these things to let people know, and we're watching for this event that would be coming, this rapture, and we're saying, God, whenever it is, we're ready for it. So that's the next event that we're waiting for. And if I could just go real quick through what our church believes, and I'll, I'll put some position papers out uh, this week. I'll link up to the websites and let you see uh, just where we stand on this. But we are waiting. Um, Titus chapter 2 says this, uh, verse 13, if the tech team could stick with me. Verse 13, it says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the blessed hope. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. All right, here's what our church believes. When Jesus comes back and takes his church out, that will start seven years of tribulation that you read about in Revelation, that you read about in Daniel chapter 9. That's going to start seven years of tribulation. And you say, well, we're going to be taken out. I'll get to that in just a minute. After the tribulation, then we have the second coming with the saints where Jesus is going to come back with his church for his kingdom in Revelation 19. If you read that, it talks about, I saw heaven open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True and his name is called the Word of God. And it talks about his eyes were like a flame of fire. And it talks, it's an amazing thing. And it's, it's talking about when God comes back for his kingdom. It's like Jesus is taking his bride out and then he's coming back for his kingdom. And he says, this earth is mine. It's all mine. And we're gonna have a new heavens and a new earth. We're gonna establish this. This is mine. Okay, that's what's gonna happen. Then there's gonna be a thousand year reign. It's called the millennium. A thousand years where the devil will be locked up Think about that, he'd be locked up. And then there's a last judgment, and the devil is, is taken care of for eternity, and then we spend eternity in the new heaven and the new earth with God. And I know I feel like I sound like a TV preacher, and half of me goes, what are you talking about? And the other part says, man, that's awesome. I'm just saying. And we're going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever in eternity. Now, I do have just this only chart, and I just want to be very clear um, what our church believes, and, and I won't fight you on this, okay? We won't fight you on this. We're not going to split the church over this. The best is, that we can tell as we look at the Word of God, and I think I got my chart. I think you can put my first uh, chart up here for me uh, with, the, uh, with, the, with the church. Okay, great. We've got the cross. We've got the cross. We've got Jesus Christ died for us. Now we're building his church. And when he says, when God the Father says, time's up, Jesus is going to appear for his church. He's going to take us out. We're going to go up with God, with Jesus, into heaven, and we're going to spend uh, that, that time with him. It's interesting. The tribulation is seven years, and in Jewish culture, when someone would get their bride, they would take seven days. Seven days. It's interesting. Seven years, seven days. The, the bride and the groom would spend seven days celebrating. Okay, so we believe it's going to happen here, and then the tribulation is going to happen. You don't want to be around for this. It's going to be horrible. Then after the tribulation, the second coming happens. This is where we come back with Jesus, Revelation 19. Then we have the millennium, and then we have the last judgment and eternity. All right, so this is how our church believes. Now, let me just tell you, there, as we look at this, as we look at the Bible, and we try to understand this, there are differing views. Some people believe this. This is called a pre-tribulation rapture. There are other people that believe mid-tribulation. Go ahead and throw that up there. There are people, they move it partway through based on some of the prophecies with Daniel and the 70th week. And so they're wondering, if it's not here. They think it's here. Okay, so the church would go through part of it and then the rest of it's the same. But there are other people that believe it's a post-tribulation. Go ahead and put that out. They believe this is one and the same and it happens here at the end of the seven years of tribulation, all right? Now, I'm just gonna tell you, the best I've studied the word of God, the best that our pastors have studied it, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture and it's called pre, mid, and post. And I was talking to a guy the other day, I said, what do you believe? Pre, mid, post, he said, pan. I said, what's that? He said, it'll all pan out. It'll all pan out. Just not worried, all right? Now, I'm just telling you, go back to the original first slide and I just believe this. 
I believe this is a, a, a time for this tribulation to get the world to recognize what they missed out on and to specifically get the nation of Israel to understand that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And there's something going on there. Um, I believe that God is going to take us out, and it's that seven years, seven days, the marriage. And I, again, I'm not going to fight you over this. I'm not going to fight you. If you notice in our church, we talk about this occasionally, but we do have doctrinal positions on this. But this excites me when I see this. And I will tell you this, when I talk about revelation, when I talk about the end times, when I talk about heaven, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to excite you. Okay? We're not trying to scare you. I'm trying to excite you. I want you to be ready. I want you to be watching. I want you to be anticipating. I want you to realize that this earth is not all there is. I want you to realize that your light and momentary suffering and conflict and struggle is working in you a far greater glory than you could ever imagine because whatever happens here on earth is just nothing compared to eternity. I'm exciting you the fact that God loves you so much. He didn't say, I'm going to save you and then let you disappear into nothingness. He said, I love you, I saved you, and I'm going to spend forever with you. And it's interesting. Some people believe the new heaven and the new earth is almost uh, a recreation of Eden, if you will, the Garden of Eden, but with a lot more people. That's why God needs a big city to take care of us. Because if you think about it, God walked with Adam and Eve, then sin separated God from Adam and Eve and separated man, and then God sends his son to be with us. He pays the price so we can restore our relationship with God. And then he's saying, guess what? When it's all done, we're back to being together again. It's God's heart. So I'm doing this to help you to understand this. So again, if I could explain to you why I believe that it's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture, and I want to use the Jewish culture of marriage. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, I'm going to prepare a place, and then I'm coming back for you. Okay? He also said, no man knows the day nor the hour that the Father is going to say time is up. Now, using Jewish culture and their wedding and their marriage, let me tell you how it worked. The groom would go to the Father of the bride, and he would say, this is the contract. This is what I'm willing to pay for the bride. This is what I'm paying. Jesus came and said, this is what I'm paying for my bride. I'm laying down my life. You want to know how much you are valued to me? I'm laying down my life for you. The new covenant, the new contract. He's saying, I want the church. I love the church. I'm dying for the church. I'm doing this. And then he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That was just like Jewish culture. Once you uh, worked out the price that would be paid for your bride, you would go and prepare a place for your bride. You'd actually go and build your house. And you'd be building and you'd say, Dad, is that good enough? The house built. Dad's like, no, I want you to reinforce that wall. And the only one that would decide when the son could get married was the father. And if you asked him, when are you getting married? Aren't you engaged? He'd say, yeah, when are you getting married? Only the father knows. That was his answer. In Jewish culture, only dad knows. I don't know. Dad gets to make the call. Jesus says, no man knows the hour, only the father. And so then what would happen once the place was prepared and the dad was like, all right, go get your bride, the groom would gather his friends together and he'd say, come on, get some trumpets, get some, uh, we, I'm going to get my bride. And they'd dream up like, how are we going to do this? And they'd usually like do it in the middle of the night. And you hear like, he's coming like a thief in the night. 
And so they come in, and what he'd do is he'd shout, here I am, I'm coming for my bride. And then they'd blow the trumpets and the whole play, here he comes. And then her and the wedding party would be swept away. Like they'd have to always be waiting. Like, I wonder when he's coming. I wonder when he's coming. You better look good because you never know. I mean, how many, wonder when he's coming. I wonder when he's coming. And so then he'd give the shout and the bride and her wedding party would have to be prepared and they would go. And then they would have the seven day celebration and then they would move into their home and they'd be married. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to do this. There's going to be a trump. There's going to be a shout. The Father knows the time or the day. And so for those that are alive when this happens, and again, we don't know when it would happen. We don't know when it would happen, but we know whoever's on the earth when this happens, this is what's going to take place, and it's going to be spectacular, and it's going to look a lot like this Jewish wedding. And I close with this because as much as that is exciting me, when I was 15, I thought it was going to happen any day, and 18, and then 25, and 30, and almost 50, and now I'm like, come any day, Lord. Yeah, any day, you know. Don't know. Don't know when it's going to happen, but I know this. Again, the death rate is 100%, and we're going to meet our Savior someday. Now, let me use this illustration of the, the marriage again, just as I close this out. When you're going to get married, how many know when people go to get married, they get in their best shape ever? How many know that? Seriously. Like, I got to fit, the lady's saying, I got to fit in that dress. I'm saying no to the cheeseburger. I'm saying yes to the treadmill. The guy's like, I need to look as good as I've ever looked. He's going to the gym. He's like, I'm going to look as good as I can. I have a picture uh, from Beck and I at the honeymoon. I'm sitting in a hot tub, and I actually have more muscles than I ever had in my life. And my boys were teasing me. They're like, Dad, you look good. I said, man, I just got married. You know, what do you think? You know, it's as good as I look, right? But here's the thing I want to share with this. This is an encouraging scripture for us. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about being with God. He's talking about spending eternity. And he says this. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now catch this. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless blameless, and at peace with him. I believe there's two parts to that. It's make every, every effort to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but then it's make every effort, if you know him as Lord and Savior, to be as ready for that day as you can. We should stop having the attitude that heaven will give us all the perfect we need when God says you can start looking like heaven now. Think about you're going to go meet Jesus. You're going to meet your heavenly father. You're going to be face to face. You're going to be in his presence. And he says, right now while you're on earth, you can be blameless. You can be spotless. You can get rid of those sins and those things that hold you back. You can prepare yourself like a bride for the groom. You can look as good as you can. Does the bride love cheeseburgers? Yes, yeah, she does. She wants to fit into the dress. So she says, no. Do you love some of those things? But you say no to those things because you're deferring your gratitude for a better day. 
That ought to give you the desire to say, Lord, what should I do with this money? What should I do with this time? What should I do? Lord, that sin has entangled me and it looks ugly and I would never want to wear that on the wedding day. I want to pursue holiness. And we don't pursue holiness out of legalism. We pursue holiness knowing that there's a day coming that we're going to be with our Savior. So why not start looking more like our Savior today and prepare for that day and say, God, I want to look the best I can through your strength. No effort of my own, but through your strength, you're going to give me the grace to change and to pursue holiness, to pursue these things. So that day I can look more like you and be the best prepared I can for that day. So Lord, I just pray so many things in this moment. I pray that we'd be prepared for that day by calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. I pray that we'd anticipate whenever it would happen that the trump would be sounded. But until then, we would do all the work we can. And I, I love this, Lord. My, my, my perspective has changed. I used to say, don't come until I did something on a personal bucket list. Now I'm saying, Lord, don't come until we have a chance to tell that unreached people group. Don't come until we have a chance to reach the next one. Don't come until, I'm like holding it off because I want more people to know you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, as we anticipate that day, we'd live in holiness. We'd prepare ourselves and it wouldn't be a burden. It'd be a joy looking forward to the wedding day, looking forward to being in your presence, looking forward to eternity with you. So God, help us to be doing the good that we can and help us to be formed in your image so we can be ready for that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen.